Second Samuel, chapter 7, verse 27. For thou, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, has revealed to your servants, saying, I will build thee a house. Therefore hath thy servant found it in his heart to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are that God. And your words are true. And you have promised this goodness to your servant. Therefore now, everyone say now. Therefore now let it please thee to bless the house of your servant. That it may continue forever before you. For thou, O Lord God, hast spoken it. And with thy blessing. Let the house of your servant be blessed forever. Lift those hands, please. Father, we thank you for the anointing in this place. For the next few moments of time, we ask you to enlighten the eyes of our understanding. Illuminate our hearts. Thank you, God, for giving zeal to your people for your house. Have your way today as we break every generational curse and dismiss every generational spirit. Let there be an open heaven over this house today. Have your way in Jesus' name. Now, just before you sit down, clap your hands and shout to the Lord one more time. He's worthy of it. He's worthy of it. Now, just look at someone and tell them it's on in the house today. Verse 29 from the New Living Translation, you may be seated, says this, and now, say it again now. May it please you, to bless the house of your servant so that it may, the house may, continue forever before you. For you have spoken, and when you grant a blessing to your servant, it is an eternal blessing. What a prayer from David. Thank you, guys. You're awesome. Let's thank God for our singers one more time. There's one thing that I am sure of today. We all desire for our homes to be blessed. I don't think there's one person in this sanctuary that does not desire that your home be blessed. In regard to our homes, this has been a year that we were forced to look inside. Shelter in place, regardless of our opinion, in many ways has shown us what's in our house. Everything from work that needed to be done around the house to work that needed to be done in our hearts. That was suddenly emphasized. In our text, we find a man, a king, who was a warrior. You know him, David. Say his name, David. You know him. And he's finally at peace. Finally, Goliath has been slain. The ark is back in the place it's supposed to be. The Philistines have been subdued. 
A divided nation is finally united. Can you imagine that? And now David sits in his house. Much like us this year, he has time to think. And here's King David in his house. And his mind immediately goes to another house. Not his own house, but God's house. 2 Samuel 7, 1 says it came to pass when the king sat in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all of his enemies that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells within curtains. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. And it came to pass that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan and said, Go tell my servant David, Thus saith the Lord, Shall you build me a house for me to dwell in? Interesting. David wanted to build God a house. I want to talk to you about three words today. The first word is intention. Say that word, intention. Very important word. The second word is importance. Say importance. And then finally, the third word is insight. Say insight. Now let's look real quick at verse 1 and 2 again of 2 Samuel 7. And I'm not going to preach long. I promise you that. Three hours. We're out. Just a few moments. When King David was settled in his house, he calls the prophet and he says, look at me. I'm dwelling in a palace and the presence of the Lord is dwelling in a tent. In other words, there's something not right about this. And suddenly we see from a settled king's heart a pure motive and an absolute clean intention. See, intention is a strong purpose. It's an aim. But intention is accompanied by a determination to produce a desired result. In other words, David's heart said, I have to do something for God because he's done so much for me. Some of us in this building understand that terminology. Jesus said the man that's been forgiven much loveth much. Now theologians have tried to explain that away. But you cannot explain it away. The fact is, he that has been forgiven much loves much. In other words, if you've not come very far, you can't appreciate the journey. But when God has brought you from a very long way, then you can say, I love the Lord with everything that is within me. 
And we see this intention from the heart of David. Yeah, that David that God said, I know his heart. His heart is after me. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at your heart. Jesus said your treasure is where your heart is. It's a matter of the heart. We see this intention brought to manifestation when Solomon, his son, prepares to build the house that God told David he couldn't build. Because when he began to plan the building, God said, no, just because of your intention, don't miss this right here, I'm going to build you a house and I'm going to bless your house. You say, Pastor Rick, does God bless intention? I came by to emphatically tell you yes. Because when God sees a man's heart, He will throw a blessing on the intention to keep you pursuing the right goals in life. We have a motive problem if we have any kind of problem. But when Solomon begins to build, David's son begins to build what David is not allowed to build. The Bible says in 1 Chronicles 29.3, David speaking, I have set my affection." He didn't say, I let my feeling run me. He said, I have took my feelings and I have set them to the house of my God. Now imagine this man watching his son do what he was not allowed to do. But he said, I'm going to get involved to the best of my ability. He said, I have of my own proper good, gold and silver, which I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house. One version reads it like this. Listen to David. With all my heart, I want the temple of my God to be built. So I'm giving my personal treasures of gold and silver for it. I'm adding them to everything else I've already provided for the holy temple. The word heart in Hebrew means the intellect or to be enclosed with intention. Hmm. The question is, where is your affection today? And I've got a question for believers. How have we allowed a generation to come up behind us that we have not influenced enough to appreciate the house of God? It's as if the millennial generation, and I'm not here to bash any generation today, Because all generations have lost the compass as far as the house of God is concerned. We have made it an alternative instead of a mandate. It's as if we have negotiated on the table of compromise and lost all conviction in regards to the house of God. And when you read the stats today, Especially this year, the house of God in our nation is becoming less and less and less and less important. If we can allow a pandemic to cause one-third of the people that were attending churches before COVID to leave those churches, 
one-third of the people that were attending churches to not go to church at all. And we're only left with one-third of the people we had before COVID arrives. That says something about loyalty. It says something about priority. It says something about the sincerity of a man's heart in relation to his connection to the house of God. When the church is strong, the nation is strong. When the church is not strong, the nation is not strong. When the church allows false interpretations of doctrine to meander their way into the sanctuary of the living God, where you begin to talk as if life is a choice. You've got a major problem when you can condone the killing of babies that have never breathed their first breath. You've got a problem. You can't sanctify that. You can't consecrate that. You can't say that's a little bit like God. No. If you endorse the killing of babies, you cannot be a part of the family of God. That's impossible. But the house has become less important. Therefore, families become less important. Therefore, authority becomes less important. Therefore, order becomes less important. Therefore, peace is gone and chaos reigns. Hmm. If the house of God's not important, then why did God always have a place where his people could gather? Okay, I'm going to go ahead and preach this here. Amen. I want to say something here, and I want you to get the full, the full potency of this statement. The devil hates you. I want to say it one more time for the purpose of emphasis. The devil himself hates you. He hates you for many reasons. He hates you because you took his place. He was in charge of the praise. Now you are. Satan lust for what Satan lost. And he's ever craving the attention of God's people to the point right now he's laughing in the corner of empty churches. Huh. Ooh, I better be careful here now. Listen. My Bible tells me In Psalm 89, that the enemy has said, we will take possession of the house of God. Who said it? The enemy said, we will take possession of the house of God. Hmm. If the government suggests to us that we should shelter in place 
because of a pandemic and a disease. I am 100% going to listen to that suggestion. Especially when you've never pastored in a pandemic before. You only know what your president and your leadership is telling you. So if they say shelter in place, that's a good suggestion, I'm going to do it. But when the pandemic goes on and on and on to the point that they're telling you now, not suggesting to you, but demanding that you not have church, that you can't sing worship songs in sanctuaries in California. At some point, the people of God have to rise up and take responsibility for their kingdom citizenship. And you got to say, enough is enough. We've cooperated. We've submitted. But you cannot tell me that Peter and John would not say the same thing today that they said in the book of Acts when they said, you be the judge. God has already told us what to do and we cannot disobey his command. So here's what I'm telling you. God has already told us, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. I ain't gonna get no help, but I'm gonna preach it anyway. Listen. Be responsible. Give people room to social distance. Pass out masks. Make everyone comfortable. I understand it. But you cannot tell me that a casino can be packed to the point you can't drive through the parking lot. You can't get in Walmart sideways. And half the people ain't wearing no mask and even think about it. And you're going to tell us we can't have church? Wait a minute. Now, I'm not trying to be an anarchist. I'm not trying to be rebellious. I'm not trying to be obstinate. I have done everything in my power to the best of my ability to lead a church through a season that the church has never seen. This has been a challenge. We've lost really good people over disagreements about my stance on certain subjects. It comes with the turf, but it breaks your heart as a pastor. But here's what you ain't never going to do. You ain't never going to convince me that the house of God is really not that important. You'll never convince me of that. And I'm going to show you why, and I'm going to roll through it like a steamroller. Tell your neighbor, here comes the steamroller. The first time you find the house of God mentioned is Genesis 28, where Jacob calls the place where he's laying Bethel. He called it the house of God because of what he experienced there. He saw angels ascending and descending on a ladder. He called it the house of God because he was able to dream there. He called it the house of God because he ordained it as a place that he could bring his tithe to. He called the house of God the gate of heaven. 
signifying the idea that when you are in the house of God, you are as close to heaven as you will ever be until you die. Welcome to the gate of heaven today. We're sitting right in the gate. Every time he gets in trouble, he goes back to, to the house of God. He goes back to Bethel. Where do you go every time you get in trouble? I watch you. You come, you get your life together, you leave because things are so good. You get real jacked up, and what do you do? You come right back, you cry right in the altar, get it all back together till you're comfortable. Then you go out there and you get your life jacked up again. Then you come back to the house of God. God puts it back together. Huh. First Samuel chapter 1, Hannah goes, the Bible says, to the house of God consistently. Hannah prays there. She brings her son there. Her son perceives the call of God there. Many of you can't get your children in the call of God because you won't bring them to the house of God. You're wondering why they won't receive the call of God because it's not important enough for you to have them in the house of God. Oh, I'm going to lose a few more people today, but I'm going to preach it like you like it. 2 Samuel 12, 20, when David sins with Bathsheba, where does he go? He goes straight to the house of God. He repents, he washes himself, he anoints himself with oil, he worships, and he goes back to the house of God. Solomon builds the house of God, and David finances the house of God. Isaiah said the house of God shall be established in the top of the mountains in Isaiah chapter 2. Zerubbabel rebuilds the house of God. Nehemiah fortified the house of God. Nehemiah said we will not forsake the house of God. 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul tells Timothy, this is how you behave in the house of God. Hebrews 10.21, we have a priest over the house of God. 1 Peter 4.17, judgment begins in the house of God. I gave you just a superficial glance of the house of God throughout Scripture. What is the house of God? The house of God is the place and the people therein. Don't miss that. The house of God is the place and the people therein. Whew. Well, I could close it down now, and we could say we received the word of the Lord. Can you say amen to that? But I didn't come to hear, hear just talk to you about intention. Importance. Say it. Importance. I got 20 minutes. I'm going to use every second of it. Importance. Say this with me. My house and God's house. Jesus lived his life with an attraction to two institutions. I think I lost someone in my, in my uh, tangent rhetoric a while ago. Come back to me. I love you. In Louisiana, we say, come see. You never hear a Cajun say, come here. He says, come see. So come see just for a moment. Everything's going to be all right. Don't be mad. Wear your mask and sit in places. It's all good. My wife wore one in here today. She's going to wear it out. People in here with masks right now. Man, I support it 100%. Do you all understand what I'm saying? I was just simply stating, let me clear myself up here that you will never tell me that the house of God is not important. That's all I was saying. Amen. Just want to make sure we're all on the same page. So Jesus had a gravitational pull to two institutions in the earth. First of all, he had a, a gravitational pull to God's temple. Then he had a gravitational pull to your house. 
I'll show you how attracted he was to the temple. <laughs> the Bible says in Mark chapter 11, verse 17, that he went into the temple. And he said, it is written, my house shall be called of all nations. First of all, he said, in my house is all nations. Black, white, Hispanic, Asian. That's the first statement. My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer. But you have made it a den of thieves. Isn't it something to think that we have the capability of making God's house what we want it to be? But when you make it something he didn't ordain it to be, he has nothing to do with it. Or he goes in and he starts turning over tables and knocking stools around and readjusting stuff. So Jesus is attracted to the temple. He's 12 years old. He's teaching in the temple. He goes into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. In Luke 4, he goes straight back to the temple. In Luke chapter 13, he heals a woman who had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years. Where? In the temple. The Bible says it was his custom to go to the temple. Jesus' custom was go to the temple, and we can't get people to go to church. You want to wear your wristband? What would Jesus do? He'd go to church. He's attracted to temples, church, but he's also attracted to homes, to houses. Lift one hand and say, God bless my house. See, Jesus said in Luke 10, 5, when you enter into anyone's house, say these words, peace to this house. When people invite you to their house, don't go to be a spectator. Don't go to be nosy so you can gossip. When you're invited to someone's house, go to their house, cross the threshold, and say these words, peace to this house. In Luke chapter 19, verse 5, Jesus came to a place. He looked up and he saw Zacchaeus and he said, make haste, come down, for today I'm going to abide in your house. And Jesus went to his house, verse number 9 and 10, and he said, this day salvation has come to this house. Because I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. I'm trying not to preach, but I, I can't help myself. Lost doesn't mean going to hell. It means misposition in priority. Too many people do not understand that when Jesus said, I come to seek and to save that which was lost, he wants, you to, he wants to put you back in the position of purpose that he preordained for you to enjoy. And when your house is out of order, he knows it. It's in a house that he's preaching and it's so full that four men tear the roof off to let a man down in front of him and he heals him. It's in a house where he is anointed by a woman with an alabaster box until it made religious people mad. And the religious people said, why the waste? Like some of you today in praise and worship. Why the noise? Why the excitement? Why the volume? Why this? Why, I've got a question for you. Why not you? Why aren't you lifting your voice? Why aren't you extreme about your praise? Why aren't you enthusiastic about your salvation? 
Jesus said, if my people don't cry out, then the rocks will cry out in their place. We've lost enthusiasm about the house of God. Watch now. It's in a house that Thomas gets the revelation that Christ is risen. It's in a house that Jesus raises a 12-year-old girl from the dead. It's in a house where the centurion's servant was healed. Jesus went into people's homes 22 times in the New Testament and worked a miracle. 22 times he was found in people's houses. I believe that when God hit the reset button of this year, and I'm not saying to you that God sent the coronavirus, I'm saying to you that God will use anything to get his people to the place they're supposed to be. That God suddenly said, you're going to have to look in your personal house to see where I am, not in this church, but at your address. The Bible says in Acts 5.42, every day in the temple and from house to house, the apostles continued to teach and preach. Now that's important. This was their practice. Every day the apostles would teach and preach in the temple and then they would teach and preach in people's houses. The word preach in the Greek is interesting because it means to shout. It means to proclaim a message. Some people are so addicted to teaching, you wouldn't know it if preaching showed up and sat right next to you. Because preaching is a lost art in this generation. No preachers are preaching no more. They're telling cute stories. Nobody's getting in the word. I told Josh this morning when I sent him this message for these guys to get it for social media, I said, I, I've got so much word that it'll choke a mule. Because I don't like coming in here telling you little cute stories that make you feel good and all the time patting you on the back and telling you, come on, smile, you're living your best life now. Heck no, this is not our best life. If this is the best we got in this nation, then God help us. This is not our best life now. But I came by to tell you, hold on, because as sure as there is a night season, reaping may endure for a night, but joy, somebody shout, joy is coming. Joy is coming. And we've been in a night season, but, but joy is coming. Are y'all with me right now? And so when I started thinking about this, I thought, well, this is pretty interesting because Jesus spends so much time in these houses. Pretty strong, isn't it? How much do you talk about Jesus in your house? Let me ask you another question. Do you spend as much time talking about Jesus as you do people? Is that convicting? Good. Good. That's good. How many times is the name Jesus mentioned in your home? A day in one 24-hour period. How many times does he come up? What about his kingdom? What about his ways? What about his doctrine? What about his word? So I started thinking, the apostles went about teaching and preaching in the temple, Christian, and in houses. I could see Jesus preaching in people's houses, lifting his voice, 
That's a powerful thought, isn't it? And it's interesting how many times in Scripture that the temple is connected to the house. That God's house is connected to your house. It's almost like there's a code. There's almost like there's a procedure. There's something that has to be done to connect my house to God's house. So I thought, how does that happen? The Lord spoke to me and he said these words this morning. When what is important to me becomes your intention, you are about to step into a blessing that cannot be stopped. See, when you ask God like David did in 2 Samuel 7, to bless your house, what you're saying is, I'm not talking about wood and mortar, brick and stone. Cover that place with your blood, but I need your blessing because that thing's going to rot. But I need your blessing on the people because if your blessing is on those that dwell in that house, then that blessing is an eternal blessing. So my wife is blessed because she married me. I'm not apologizing for that. It's not a joke. She's blessed because she came into covenant with a blessed man. So she gets pregnant with River Ricky. And guess what River Ricky is? Blessed. Just like Crystal is blessed because she married a blessed man who's the son of blessed parents. So Julius and Neil are blessed because mama and daddy were blessed. And Haley is blessed because Justin and Crystal are blessed. And they are blessed because Paula and Jesse are blessed. She's blessed because I was blessed and she married something blessed. Do you understand how it works? So when you say, Lord, bless my house, you're saying, Lord, put your blessing on everything that has life in my house. So in verse 29, he says, now, may it please you, I'm almost done, give me five minutes, to bless the house of your servant, that my house may continue forever before you. For you have spoken, this is David praying to God, Listen what he says. And God, can you see him? Can y'all see him kneeling on the floor of his palace? He's in there by himself. He has his hands raised, and it's just David. He just left Nathan the prophet, and the prophet gave him the word. So he comes back, and if you read chapter 7, he gets to a place that he starts crying, and he says, Who am I that you would choose me? Who am I? Don't that sound like Moses? Who am I? All great men in scripture live with a phrase of humility in their mouth. Who am I? See, if we would all get back to that, if we could all just bring ourselves back to the place that we said, God, how in the world could you choose me? I don't deserve this. I'm not worthy of what you've done for me. Who am I? Now can you see why God wanted the blessing? 
God couldn't wait to bless him because he knew David's gratitude. And he says these words. What you have spoken, you will do. When you grant a blessing to your servant, it is an eternal blessing. When your house is blessed, the devil cannot strip you of your blessing. The blessing is eternal. The blessing lasts for a thousand generations. David knew something. If I bless his house, he's going he's gonna to bless my house. Remember the intention? I want to build you a house. And God said, I know your heart. Before you build my house, I'm going to bless your house. Because you have put my house in a place of priority, I'm going to give you a prophetic blessing that is going to last through all your children's lives. That's a strong thought, y'all. How do you tie your house to God's house? Ezekiel 4430 from the Message Bible. The best of everything grown plus all special gifts come to the priest in the house of God. And all, all that is given in worship to God goes there. Serve them first. Listen now. Listen to the Bible. Serve from your best and your home will be blessed. Did y'all hear that? The Lord said serve your best and your home will be blessed. Doesn't it make you want to reevaluate your worship to the Lord? It makes me reevaluate the way I sang today. It may, makes me reevaluate my passion for God's presence. Am I giving you my best? Or am I giving you what's left over after I'm wore out at the end of the day? Am I giving you a tired servant because I've been caring about, caring about money and my job and Am I giving you leftovers? Or do I wake up every morning realizing that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases and his mercies never come to an end, but they're new every morning. And I wake up and I say, God, thank you for new mercy. And now here's you some new service. I'm going to give you my best. 